Chris Biddle and this is Inside AgriTurf featuring the people, the personalities and the plans of those engaged in the farm machinery, sports turf and garden machinery industry. Running a profitable business, any business, is a full-on and all-consuming way of life. This industry of ours is largely populated by a network of independent, family-run businesses. Over the years, many of these businesses have been passed down the generations, during which time they've had to adapt to a myriad of fluctuating laws, rules and regulations. There have been good times and bad times, recessions and revitalizations, unpredictable and uncontrollable weather conditions, and not to mention events that emerge from left field, such as the recent pandemic. The profitable ones, those that grow and prosper, display resilience, a sense of pragmatism, optimism and opportunism. So I've recently produced a trilogy of podcasts reflecting the stories of three of those who span the ages and which I'm calling Dealonomics. All are involved primarily in the garden and turf care machinery market. One of them is Cyril Johnston in Northern Ireland, who became one of the first specialist garden machinery dealers in the UK when, in the early 1950s, he agreed to take on the fledgling range of mowers made by Douglas Hayter, then just in his mid 30s. I will be chatting to the company's new MD, Tom Black about the evolution of a dealership over the past 70 years. Next, to the northwest of England, where I talked to Steve Halley, MD of Cheshire Turf Machinery, who have just celebrated its 25th anniversary. The company has emerged out of the ownership of Electrolux in the 1980s, and they were a distributor of Flymo consumer mowers, but grew into one of the country's leading professional turf care dealerships with a client list that includes many of the leading premiership football clubs. But first, and this really is a first, after conducting over 40 podcasts remotely over Zoom since I launched Inside AgriTurf a year ago, today I am delighted to be sat in person with Tim Lane, who started his turf care machinery business towards the back end of 2019, and just months before Boris ordered the first lockdown. Tim lives in Broughton and runs his business out of a charming village in the heart of Hampshire. So instead of my usual studio set up at home, I'm sat in the what shall we call it, the boardroom of Tim's new company, ATH Machinery, complete with digital recorder and my laptop. Now, the audio may sound slightly different, as Tim's boardroom has a history, as you will hear. So, Tim, many thanks for inviting me. And firstly, uh, when did you actually start the business? Uh, well, Chris, welcome to um, ATH Machinery and thank you for coming. Uh, so last month, uh, we actually celebrated two years in business. I can't believe how quickly it's gone. And uh, as a matter of interest, ATH Machinery, what, what does that stand for? Does it stand for anything in particular? 
yes, so um, there was an awful lot of thought gone into it. Um, no, it's, it's quite simply the initials of my three children, so Amy, Tom, Hattie, uh, all in age order. Great, so a true family business Absolutely, then. yeah, <laughs> that's the plan. And so when you started it two years ago, uh, what was the idea behind it? What was the main focus? What was to be the main focus of the business? So we started the business predominantly to look after the professional user of ground care equipment and the initial customer base was supposed to be golf courses, local authorities, contractors and private estates. And so you said you you, you formed it in August uh, 2019. Now, as we all know, just a few months later, we all had lockdown uh, and, and with golf courses, of course, uh, that would have had a serious effect on the business. So how did you react to all that, Tim? Uh, my first reaction was, oh, my goodness, what bad timing. <laughs> um, yes, uh, but in, in a, on a serious note, we had to have a quick rethink, uh, mainly because the professional user, uh, like many, many organisations that employ staff, um, didn't know what they needed to do. So a lot of places either shut or were on reduced man, man hours. And uh, therefore, we needed something to do. We've got workshop facilities. We know how to fix stuff. So we actually changed direction quite significantly and focused on local garden machinery. And, and did that work for you? I mean, you, did, obviously, you got into the season. There was still lockdown going on, but you were able to service and sell machinery during that period? Yes, yeah, so we have the resources for the professional users, so we're able to collect and deliver. We very quickly identified that we could work remotely, which was a, uh, a phrase that resonated with a lot of customers. You know, you don't need to see us. We can come in, we can pick stuff up, you can pay us electronically. So it really was a contactless service from day one. Yeah. So now a lot of people will, will know know you or know of you, uh, Tim, and you're certainly not necessarily a new kid on the block as far as the garden machinery dealer is concerned. Um, and I believe you, you trained at Spa Scholt and at Reichert Wood and subsequently where you got a degree at Silso uh, College, part of, of Silso University, I guess, part mm-hmm. of Cranfield, where you got a degree in agricultural engineering. So coming out of Silso, what then? I was lucky enough um, to have joined TH White as a uh, graduate trainee. In fact, prior to that, I'd spent a year out with them, um, enabling me to experience many different facets of their business. And I didn't know what I wanted to do at the end, and we were in discussions at the time, so my career started with them, as I said, as a a graduate trainee. Uh, And you worked your way through the company? Yes, so um, I had the opportunity to work in a number of their divisions and over the years worked in many different departments across uh, three main trading divisions um, and experienced all parts of a dealership business and more latterly, of course, a distribution business as well. Uh, uh, Of course, and um, uh, you reached um, director level, I believe, within uh, TH1. Yes, that's right, yes. And, And so... So you're, there you are, uh, a director with one of the biggest dealerships in the country, and you decided to start again. Was this a midlife crisis uh, or, or what? Um, <laughs> Lizzie, Lizzie, my wife, definitely thinks it was. Um, but no, joking apart, it's, um, it's not, no secret that I, for some time, have had an ambition to run my own business. Um, the benefit of my previous employer is, to all intents and purposes, you're running a business, but without using your own money. Yeah. Um, so, yes, it's very different. But it's been an ambition for some time, and a number of things came together, Chris, at the right time. 
which meant that we we had the opportunity to to get on and do it. And so what were your first priorities when you decided to form the company? What about premises? What about workshop equipment? What about vehicles and so on? And actually, what about funding? (laughs) (laughs) So we uh, we live on a farm. I mean, where we are now, we're in an amongst farm buildings, uh, which uh, the family farm owns. So I guess we're very fortunate uh, in, in that respect. We have property. We knew when we started the business, particularly dealing with a professional user, that we would have to have facilities um, and, and, you know, and the infrastructure to better move machinery. So with that experience, we, we, we hit the ground fairly quickly. You know, we, we sat here in workshops, we've got office space. And this um, boardroom, as I've discovered it, is um, what I understand the old dairy. Is this it? is the old dairy, yes. At one point, there was a big milk tank in here. And in fact, when I first moved to the farm, we used to come and collect our fresh milk from here early in the morning. So Fantastic, yeah, fantastic. Lovely. And and obviously, you need a little bit of uh, backing, financial backing behind yes. you. Uh, and presumably, you would have had uh, enough to start the business anyway. Yeah, so we, we, we have put our own money into the company. Uh, we know, again, with the professional user in mind, we knew that we'd need to have a significant lump sum to get things going. Having had this sort of two years' experience now, um, there is obviously a big contrast between working for a big company and having all the back office support that that, that, in, that provides you yeah. and having to do everything yourself and maybe even sort of operate by the seat of your pants on a mm. day-to-day and gut-feeling basis. Is, is that true? Yes, definitely. I mean, moved from predominantly an office-based role into a very hands-on role. Uh, one day behind the desk, the next day trying to find all my old tools and <laughs> digging things out and getting things going again. But look, Chris, you know, the, the challenges that we have faced, we currently face and we, we, start, we faced when we started the business, are no different to the challenges in a much bigger organisation. Just, they might be a little complicated, but they're still there. Yeah, yeah, just different scale of, and, yes. uh, of issues. Definitely. But as evidence, I guess, Tim, by the name of your company, it is very much the epitome of a family company. So you all pitch in, I guess. Yes, no, the current setup means that, um, well, when we started two years ago, I was doing everything. Um, I very quickly realised I needed to convince my wife that she should be a part of it. Yes. Um, and she's been brilliant. You know, it's a baptism of fire there, moving from running a very busy family house to helping out with accounts and VAT returns. Yes, we've been fortunate that along the way, we've got lots of friends and family who have helped out and continue to support us. And, and so we're sitting here, as I say, in, in mid-Hampshire, um, uh, in the Test Valley, a very, very, uh, I would say, wealthy area in some mm. respects. And mm. fishing on the Test is not for the uh, impoverished, is it? And uh, no. um, So what is the sort of customer profile that you've been uh, aiming at since you started? Stepping aside from where we started the business and focusing on garden machinery, we very quickly realised that because we're in a very affluent area, um, there's a lot of people that own property in and around the Test Valley that have either moved out of London recently or own second homes. So by that nature, they tend to be larger houses with larger gardens. It's staggering how many customers run garden machinery, but, but often run multiple units. Yes. Yeah. And we found that with our professional experience, we were able to offer that on-site service for lawn tractors and ride-on mowers. Sure. Um, and, and, and presumably, uh, then, Tim, it's been a constant process of, of equipping the business uh, w- w- with tools. I think you said that you had quite a lot of tools anyway yourself. 
Is this just an ongoing process? Yeah, so we've got uh, we've actually got uh, three vehicles in the business now. Yeah. Uh, a couple of vans and a commercial vehicle. We've got a couple of trailers. Um, but investment in tooling, no, we've had to buy an awful lot. Um, some specialist tooling, hydraulic presses, uh, pullers, those sorts of things. We've just invested in a new MIG welding plant. And they're, you know, for a small business, they're, they're a big investment, but something we have to have. And, and so, having started ATH Machinery and sitting here with premises, what machinery do you have to find to sell? How do you find franchises? Uh, that's really, really hard. Uh, and I guess slightly naive of me when we started, um, having dealt with multiple larger franchises in my previous career, the naivety was assuming that people would be interested and, and, and would want to come and talk to effectively a one-man band. The realisation was that we needed to earn our wings. Um, we needed to get a couple of years under our belt before such time as a major supplier might look at us. I, I guess the other challenge we had, Chris, was that asking suppliers to make a change when COVID happened was virtually impossible. There was a lot of caution around, I guess. Well, and, and they had their own challenges to deal with. Mm. You know, we, we were the least of, despite the opportunities I couldn't see, yeah. we were actually the least of their problems. <laughs> were you trying to, to, to source machines directly from suppliers or would it come through uh, uh, distributors, other dealers and so on, or was it a mix? Uh, it, it was a mix. My instinct was to try and go direct, of course, <laughs> um, because that's the salesman in me. But um, actually, no, that wasn't that wasn't going to happen. Again, you know, we've got some very good, strong dealer relationships yeah. UK wide, which has definitely helped. But I would also like to say there's been um, three suppliers in particular who very quickly worked with us. And so the Arians Company, uh, the Steger Group, and Hustler for the commercial mowers. Yeah. All of those three companies have been incredibly supportive at a time when you know i didn't have a relationship with them from a previous employment sure we got talking and and it worked i've been very grateful for their support and presumably as i said a lot of people do know you in the in the trade you have a reputation and uh, working for whites and, and so you would have had a lot of connections but it wouldn't have been true that they have said oh come on in tim have a cup of coffee sit down uh, what can we supply you with and how much do you want and and so on it is a little bit more difficult than that i guess a lot more difficult, and of course, for um, suppliers, there are often bigger pictures that are that are at play. And as as and when those changes come in the future, the key thing for ATH Machinery is to is to make sure the business is funded well enough and is resourced and focused to take advantage of any potential supplier changes in the future. Uh, and without obviously naming names, but you will have had a lot of contacts, as we said. Um, did, did they all step up or, or, or some some were better than others and, and you, there's an old saying that you, you shouldn't do business with friends were there any issues there or disappointments uh, of, of people that you thought you might be able to deal with that didn't uh, come up with you definitely a pause there <laughs> I, yes um, it was unex- yes, an unexpected um, unexpected response uh, so some were good and supportive Others were surprising, but as I say, look, you know, yeah, big enough and ugly enough, and and I've already alluded to earlier on, there was an element of naivety with me, definitely that, uh, yeah, you know, we, we needed to, the business needed to have some time, yeah, and probably needs more time, yeah, uh, and and you started, as you say, as a one man band, and it probably wasn't long before you needed uh, some help to employ staff. So, what's the current situation? How many people have you got on board here? Yeah, so within two years, we're up to five um, who are dependent on the business for an income, including myself. 
which which is fantastic and we are actively looking to take on somebody else probably early part of next year um, I would also point out that we I wouldn't call it a subcontracting arrangement but we do have a very very good family friend who's been self-employed for 25 years in garden machinery and he has been his business has been incredibly supportive to us uh, to the point now where we have a very good contra arrangement for when you know, if we get too busy he can help me out and vice versa sure, um, sure. and that's been invaluable particularly with a specific garden machinery experiences and also you needed um, some level of recognition of your place within the trade and I believe you, you made use of the qualifications available through BAGMA. Yeah, so it was important um, to make sure that we had some form of professional accreditation and BAGMA, BAGMA stands for our industry, for the garden machinery sector in particular at that time. So what we did is it didn't seem credible coming from a director role suddenly back on the tools but without having some kind of accreditation so we applied with the support team from uh, BAGMA and managed to get our, our company and me on the LT registration scheme which we've now followed through with everybody else in the business. So so as a scheme we are sitting here two years on from you starting it um, you had Covid to cope with how do you reflect on the issues that you faced over the past 24 months or so? Uh, what have been the high notes, the low notes, the difficulties, the challenges, the wins, the losses? There's been, there's been some really good wins um, born out of being uh, focused and at a time when maybe other suppliers were internally focused, we were very much looking at opportunities and needed to do something. Um, so we've had some fantastic sales. You mentioned fishing earlier on. We've got a, a very, a very good, well-known fishing estate where we now do all of their work and we supplied their frontline mower. So that's a huge win for me um, yeah. and for the business. Fantastic. But the other big thing, Chris, is we've got uh, again. We don't need to name names. We've got two significant local authorities who have put a lot of faith in us from day one and are putting a lot of business our way. Well, for a new business, that's been incredibly good opportunity and, and so how did you get your name around um i mean you, you wouldn't uh, take full page efforts and not that people do in the local newspapers so how did you, i mean you, you you are local anyway so i guess you you've got a, a number of local connections but yes. um how did you, you you go for getting ath machinery known amongst the, the, your local community so we've used a number of um methods to do that firstly it's been referrals so the moment we start to talk about and advertise locally, friends of friends, particularly regarding machinery, it's amazing how quickly word spreads, particularly through larger private estates. Uh, we've made good use of the social media platforms, so fa- Facebook in particular we found has been good for local engagement. Uh, I would say local gardeners are really good contacts. You know, they're in and around lots of different houses. We've got pre- It's no secret, we've got previous customers that we've dealt with um, yeah. historically. And a number of those have been incredibly supportive, but but still keeping very local. Obviously, we've got national contacts, but yes. ATH machinery is not big enough yeah. yet. And again, we just talked about what, what the highs and lows are, but um, two years on, you, when you started two years ago, you would have had a number of checkpoints and, and ideas and plans 
um, some of which would have come to fruition, presumably, and some will, will have not. Mm. Um, well, how, do you, how do you know, looking forward over the next two, three, five, five years, um, mm-hmm. do you use that experience as a sort of benchmark for what you can do uh, in the future and, and know what you can do and, more importantly, what you can't do? So the first two years, we've, we've tried not to say no to anything. Mm-hmm simply because we you know we, we started we didn't know it at the time but we started the business in the pandemic so the word no just couldn't exist every opportunity we we had to explore and no matter how small they no matter how small they might seem it's amazing what uh, what those opportunities could turn into so yes i think we we've definitely made a lot of mistakes yeah um but we've learned an awful lot at the moment so to answer your question we we had a business plan when yeah. we started the business, based around dealing with a professional user, um, we had a business plan that helped us with the uh, cash needed and the cash flow. A lot of that went out of the window when we realised that COVID was here. But I think we, by, by not saying no to anything, we're currently looking at four distinct opportunities within the business. And uh, it's garden machinery, dealing with a professional user... There's no doubt that we're in a very strong agricultural machinery area, so we could do something there in the future. Spin off agricultural machinery. Yeah, I mean we're we're an engineering services business, so there's no reason why we couldn't. And and finally, an opportunity that really came out of out of the blue for us was working with a a very well known international chipper manufacturer locally uh, to begin to refurbish commercial chippers for them. So we're whilst we're juggling a lot at the moment, and and. Maybe there's a risk there that we'll come to talk about. The business needs to decide what it wants to do, sure. and what it's going to do long term. I know. I mean, we, we're talking about diversification, really, aren't we? And there's quite a debate going on in the industry about how diversified you should be if you're a, a turf care dealer. Uh, how diversified? I mean, I was a de- dealer uh, in 1976 when the uh, yeah. Uh, when the, when the uh, sun shone and the grass didn't grow for something like two or three months and, and you look around and think, what the heck can we do? And, of course, a lot of dealers have been in that and they look for other opportunities. So is there a danger, Tim, do you think, in, 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 in spreading your talents and your resources too wide? Yeah, it is. I mean, we need to... Um, I, I'm incredibly ambitious personally and for the business and, and I'm used to running something much bigger. So it, it's natural to want to to have a diverse business. Um, there is a risk, though, that we don't focus on something and then the business just goes backwards. But I think all the time that we can continue to focus on, as I say, those four parts and then resource those as each part of the business needs, subject to funding, of course, then then the risk is relatively small. The risk will be is if I try to do everything myself. Yes. And, and clearly over the last two years we've employed, well, there's five of us in the business now, if, if we look forward, that's likely to increase significantly. From your experience, what, what, um, what advice would you give to somebody in your situation starting off from scratch? If you had a sort of checklist of, of five, six items, maybe more, maybe less, what would be on that list? <laughs> uh, don't do it with a mortgage and three kids. <laughs> <laughs> um, gosh... Timing's a difficult one, so I can't use that. I guess the big one is keep keep your overheads as low as possible. And I know it sounds a bit of a cliche, but um, even when you think you've got your overheads low, they're still not low enough. No. Um, and everything takes so long. I, I understand that, given my background, but when you're a one-man band, 
my goodness, you have to fight for everything. Yes. I mean, you really do, and you have to be tenacious. You have to push and identify every opportunity and, and see everything through to the final final degree. And what do you see? I mean, presumably you've got a, a one-year plan, a five-year plan, a ten-year plan, and maybe even longer than that. I, I don't know. And, and uh, as they say, the only constant is change. Uh, what do you see the major challenges are um, to whatever plan you've got over the coming years, apart from the weather over which even you, I don't think, have much control? No. Uh, the, weather, the weather's on the risk register because, you know, we've... I've been in a business when when we've had a really difficult, long, hot, dry summer, and it's a real wake-up call. Yes, I think the the personal challenge is going to be addressing ambition for the business over the funding needed to to feed that ambition. Yes, uh, we've mentioned four four potential opportunities within the business at the moment. Um, two of those are likely to need significant funding, and the business will need to decide whether it's it, it raises the funds itself, i.e. Yeah. borrowing money, which, of course, we, we don't want to do. But it might be that, that leads on to much bigger opportunities. Chris, it, it isn't a secret, but we have looked at two acquisitions. Yeah. Uh, one, one within the garden machinery sector and one within the commercial machinery sector. Um, one of which it, it looks like we could be very close to seeing through if we choose to. Yes. So we're not frightened to look at acquisition. And, and the benefit for me is the franchises and the stuff that come with it. But to answer your question directly, it's going to be funding. It's yes. going to be how, how much money are we as a family prepared to put into this long term? Because this is a long term opportunity. Of course. Versus, versus just running a business that's family. And, and this is an industry that um, flies under the radar of very much public recognition. It's a good industry to be in. It's uh, fantastic. It's an enjoyable industry. Yes, I think is. it has to be enjoyable first and foremost, doesn't it? Definitely very enjoyable. And um, it has to make money, obviously. Yeah, it needs to make money. It needs to be profitable. Um, mm. it's, a, it's, it's a fantastic industry. And so many, so many opportunities still exist. And I'm probably darting around a little bit, but I know we've we, we talked in the past about the resilience within the industry and particularly the people that I've worked with and met. And there's a, there's a lot of people out there that know how to make the most of opportunities. And um, that's what I love about the industry. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, and indeed, the resourcefulness of many in the industry. There's a yes, lot of, definitely. There's a lot of can-do out there, isn't there? Yes, there is. Um, yep. Well, look, Tim, I've really enjoyed our chat. I think just, just finally, um, as a matter of interest, uh, is there any motto that you've got... Uh, uh, written large behind the, the loo door or um, or indeed a, a role model that, 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 that has um, guided you or, or, or you take a lot of heed of uh, that, that you um, that you use as a, as, as a guidance in, in your business career? Yes. So from very early, very, very early on in my career, there's a couple of role models. Um, it wouldn't be appropriate to name names. No. However, um, having been working alongside... Uh, individuals who who make you focus on every opportunity um, always look for the positives despite all the challenges that may be ahead of you making it happen I think is a good one for us uh, as a small business you know we've talked about saying yes to things indeed but one thing saying yes is another actually seeing that through and making it happen um, so I'm hoping that's something we get across particularly with the younger members of our business at the moment you know we, we can't afford to say no so we have to say yes and then find a way to make it happen do you say yes sometimes and regret it afterwards? 
on a couple of occasions, and, and ironically on, <clears throat> excuse me, on, on very small, irritating yeah. garden machines. That you just think, <laughs> why on earth did we say yes to that? Because actually we should have said no. The yeses haven't been bad, but, but there we are. But one thing I've, I've gained out of the conversations that I've had with dealers is that does seem to be key is actually communication between you as a business and the customer. Mm. I mean, as long as the communication is, is sound and clear and concise and the customer knows where they stand and mm. you know where you stand, mm. then I think you, a lot of the issues can be uh, resolved, can't they? Yes, definitely. And of course, with a, uh, a family-owned business, one of the things I've learned is that's so much easier to achieve you know, in, in a larger dealer group with multi-divisions. Um, that direct contact with the end user is getting communication right is challenging. Well, look, from the splendour of your uh, boardroom... Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tim, I'd like to really thank you for, for your time today. It's been fascinating, and uh, might, might I wish you well in, in your future uh, business, and I uh, hope it grows as you hope it to grow. Lovely. Well, thank you, Chris, and thanks for taking the time to come across. It's uh, good to see you, and um, I hope this helps other people who might be thinking about their opportunities. Yes, and it's great to be able to do these face-to-face. Yes, definitely, yes. (laughs) Thank you, Tim. Thank Thank you. you. I really can't add anything to that very honest appraisal of the early years of his new business by Tim. To suddenly be faced with serious trading difficulties, not of your own making, within months of realising an ambition to be your own boss, will have caused more issues than we could ever imagine for Tim and his family. But he sounded chipper, determined, and aware of some of the naivety which he showed in the early days, despite his long experience in the industry. So do subscribe to Inside AgriTurf from your usual podcast provider to ensure that you access the next two episodes of Dealernomics, featuring Cyril Johnson in Belfast and Cheshire Turf Machinery in the northwest of England. I'm Chris Biddle, thank you for joining me, and this is Inside AgriTurf. Inside AgriTurf